Today on Blue 58, the Packers have a lot of great players, and we expect great performances from those players. But it's just as important to get solid performances from your non-stars, and that's who we're going to talk about today. How can non-stars affect the 2021 Packers season? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We're going to talk about what I'm going to title boom or bust players in Green Bay in just a second, but there's a couple things I want to get to first. First and foremost, the Blue 58 Book Club. We are beginning our annual, well, I guess it is annual now, I can say that, um, tradition of reading through a book together on the podcast and discussing it uh, here and uh, in our Discord server uh, next week. So we've mentioned this a couple times. Uh, We have selected Blood, Sweat, and Chalk by Tim Layden uh, as our book for this year, and we are going to start with Chapter 1, the discussion thereof, on June 10th. So one week from yesterday, as you are listening to this, if you're listening to it on Friday the 4th, exactly one week from when I am recording it. So... Uh, get your books, uh, get a digital copy, a physical copy, and it's okay if you get a little bit of a late start here too. That is fine. It's going to take us a little while to get through this. So as long as you get involved, that is what we want to see. So uh, get your copy of the book, uh, join us for this discussion, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Good? Good. I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers again for a second because I, I, something has not been sitting right with me the last couple of days. And I've I've been thinking about this situation, well, I guess what sparked it today was uh, Rob Domovsky appearing on a Chicago sports talk radio station and saying um, that he doesn't think Aaron Rodgers is going to play again for the Packers. He thinks Rodgers is too dug in, blah, 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 a whole variety of things. Maybe true, maybe not. Uh, And I, I found myself instinctually pushing back on what he was saying because, well, I wasn't exactly sure why. So I sat down and thought, why does this not sit right with me? And part of it, I think, is because his argument was kind of specious. Uh, he thinks Aaron Rodgers is, is too dug in. Domovsky has not offered a lot of sourced reporting on this, uh, mainly following what Adam Schefter has said. He has added a little bit to that, but not a whole lot. Surely he knows something, and it, and it may be true. But the cases for Aaron Rodgers just being out, I think, have not been great so far. But that's not to say that thinking that Aaron Rodgers is going to leave is a bad position to be in. I think you can you can make that case. My case has been that I think he's going to come back. I think that the the Packers are going to end up being the best situation for him. I think he's going to conclude that this is his best chance to win, uh, to continue to build on his legacy, and he's going to be the Packers quarterback. That, too, I feel is a legitimate position. But in both of those arguments, there may be biases at play, and that's kind of what brought me to this topic today. What biases are at play as we're talking about this? So this is talking not about Aaron Rodgers in particular, but talking about this story through the lens of how we think about this. And I think this is important to talk about because it affects how we talk about and think about every NFL story. What are our biases? So I think I am probably overly biased towards thinking about this from a rational perspective. 
thinking through people's problems, it's important to get yourself into their headspace. And that's something that I personally am not necessarily super great at. I feel like I'm a pretty empathetic person, but while I can empathize with people, I feel like sometimes I have a a hard time making decisions from their perspective. I can see what Aaron Rodgers, just to use this as an example, is saying when he says he has frustrations, allegedly, with the Packers. We really haven't heard it from his mouth. But to me, it still seems like the rational thing to do is to, to stick it out. But what if assuming that everyone here is thinking rationally is a mistake? What if that's a bias in the wrong direction? What if approaching this thing rationally is wrong? And I think we can see how that might play out in this situation by looking at a couple different scenarios. First, look at this from the Packers per- or from Rogers' perspective. To me, the rational perspective is, okay, I'm mad at the Packers. I'm mad at my boss, Brian Gutekunst. I'm not happy with the way things have gone. But this still seems like the best situation for me. They're still going to give me a whole bunch of money. They've offered me a contract extension, reportedly. So I'm going to look past my frustrations, realizing that this is still probably the best way to get what I ultimately want, which is to win football games. And I'm going to come back and we're going to get this sorted out. To me, that makes sense top to bottom. But what if he's not thinking about it rationally? What if he's saying, I'm out at the Packers and we're just going to have some consequences here because I'm mad. So I'm going to cause as much damage as I can, and I really don't care about the outcome. To me, that's an irrational approach, but maybe that's what he's thinking. And maybe my bias is towards wanting to have a solution that makes sense and seems well-reasoned top to bottom leads me away from that conclusion. Maybe it's hard for me to get to that point because that's not how I think about things. Could be. From the Packers' perspective, there's a couple part, parts here we got to talk about. Looking at this you know, rationally, there are some things where you can see the Packers' thought process here. First, part one of this scenario that leads us to where we are today here in early June. The Packers say Aaron Rodgers has been in decline or at least semi-decline from 2015 to 2019. I think the stats show that pretty clearly. He was not the same quarterback in those four or five seasons that he was the four or five seasons prior to that. So the Packers say we're going to start preparing for the future. Part two of that, though, is that in 2020, Aaron Rodgers steps in and proves that he can still play at a very, very high level. So the Packers say we're going to keep this team together and make another run. Everything about that is rational. The Packers saw a decline from Aaron Rodgers. They started preparing for the future. Aaron Rodgers plays better. They want Aaron Rodgers back. You don't have to agree with it, but you can see the thought process there. But there's also a potentially irrational way that the Packers could be looking at this. They could convince themselves that we're uniquely good at spotting talent. And so, therefore, what we're going to do is we're going to trade up in the first round to get this quarterback that is, while talented, generally projected as a late first, possibly second round pick. We're going to get him. We're going to have him sit behind our Hall of Fame quarterback. Let them develop, which even though that's not really a thing that's been shown to happen recently in the NFL, is going to work for us. And we're going to keep our legendary run of good quarterbacks going into a fourth decade. 
that does not seem like an approach that really follows the evidence or really how the NFL works of late. But it could be how the Packers have approached this, and they could have just seen it work out worse and more quickly than they thought it was going to. Ultimately, I don't know what's going on. But I think it's important that we, as we try to figure out what is going on, while we wait to hear from the principal character involved in a more direct way, if that is ever going to happen, and I really probably don't think it's going to, as we wait for that to happen, we've got to be careful about our biases as we think about it. Because I think assuming people are going to behave rationally may be a mistake. It also occurs to me that even dating back, I think, as far as 2018, I've said on this podcast that it wouldn't surprise me if Aaron Rodgers retired pretty much at any time. That is another way of not going about this rationally. But I think I compared him after the end of 2018, after the end of 2019, whichever it was, uh, to a a guy who has a, a great job, maybe a friend of yours, just picture a guy who's, who's got a great thing going, a great gig, but he just kind of gets bored. Uh, he talks himself into to getting bent out of shape out of something mi- uh, minor or just wants to move on or whatever. But he ends up getting out of a good situation and doing something else, maybe something worse, just because I, he doesn't really know. And I think you can always see a little bit of that with Aaron Rodgers. Clearly, he's got stuff going on outside of football, and good for him. That's a great thing to do. It's what everybody should probably strive to do in the NFL. Putting all of your eggs in your NFL career basket can be lucrative, but there's there's more to life than that, and it's not going to last forever. But when you've got a good situation, why not try to make the most of it? Sure, there are some legitimate grievances on his side, But working things out this way may not be the best way to to wrap it up. Still, we don't know. But it's important to think about our thinking as we try to figure out what is going on. As to guys that are actually in Green Bay, I want to talk about this category of players that I think we can talk about as boom or bust players. So everybody knows the stars. Everybody knows the guys that are going to be good pretty much no matter what. Think about Devontae Adams. If he's bad, it's obviously bad. But nobody expects that. Everybody expects Devontae Adams to show up and be good, to beat guys on the routes that we've seen him run a million times. But I don't want to talk about Devontae Adams. I want to talk about the guys that we're not quite sure what to expect, but may go either way. Guys that have big upside or whose solid contributions could take the Packers to another level, but whose negative contributions could really hurt what the Packers are doing as well. I want to leave out rookies from this discussion, because even good rookies, I think the bar is still pretty low. If a guy in his rookie season, unless he's like a a top five pick, turns out to not be cutting it, okay, nobody's really that surprised, because there is a learning curve. I want to talk about guys that have been here a little while that could legitimately go either way. Guys who, if they perform really well, it's going to be a great thing for the Packers. But guys who could really hurt the Packers if they don't play super well. First and foremost, I want to talk about Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think he is an interesting prospect for the Packers this year because of what he showed 
last year. He is a uniquely talented player on the Packers. He is really their only deep threat. And although Alan Lazard can go deep and does pretty regularly, the way in which he gets deep is different from the way MVS goes deep. And I think that's apparent to anybody who's watched either of them play. Nobody on the Packers has the speed that Marquez Valdez-Scantling does. Nobody, at least not on offense. Eric Stokes can probably run with him on defense. But on offense, nobody can do what MVS does. But he's also shown himself to be pretty inconsistent. Last year, catching just a little over half of the targets that came his way. Not great. In fact, among players targeted I think it was, and I'm just quoting this off the top of my head, so I'm not completely sure on this, but I think it was guys targeted 50 or more times in the NFL last year. Uh, He had one of the worst catch percentages of anybody. 33 catches on 63 targets, 52.4%. Not great. But there is an easy scenario where he continues to be the deep threat that he is, ups that catch percentage a little bit, and suddenly he's threatening a 1,000 yards. If you just add on his drops from last year, he might have gone for close to 900 yards. As it was, he, uh, he still put up 690 yards, averaging 20.9 yards per catch. You can see, You can see what we're looking at here. If he gets that catch rate up to 60%, We're talking about an entirely different statistical production. And if he can be that more consistent producer for the Packers offense, it just raises the entire ceiling of this already very good offensive group. But the flip side there is, if he doesn't perform, say if we get 2018 Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the Packers again will find themselves in a situation where they have no deep threat outside of scheming guys open scheming guys open, figuring out ways to work them open in the course or in, in the natural flow of the offense is, is great. But having guys that just have the physical ability to get downfield and get themselves open is even better. MVS has that kind of ability. He did not show it consistently in 2019. 2018 was his rookie season. I misspoke earlier. 2019, he basically disappeared as the season went on. And that would be the worst case scenario for him heading into year four here. Not just because of what it would mean for the Packers, but because of what it would mean for him heading into free agency after this season. By the end of last year, he was barely cracking double digits in most games in terms of, uh, in, in 2019, I'm saying when I'm referring to last year, he was barely cracking double digits in most games and played six total snaps in the playoffs, two playoff games. That would be pretty much a worst case scenario for the Packers who still could use another deep threat here in like year four of saying that. Also on offense, this is cheating a little bit, but I think Lucas Patrick and John Runyon and maybe the other young guards on the Packers are also in this boom or bust category. So 
Runyon and Patrick come to mind specifically because they are de facto starters on the Packers' offensive line right now. In their first OTA practice, John Runyon was the starting left guard, and Lucas Patrick was the Packers' starting right guard. Now, obviously, this is affected a little bit by what the Packers have to deal with with David Bakhtiari being out of the lineup right now. But it's easy to see why these two guys matter a lot. They're the first men up in terms of taking over that guard spot. And in the best-case scenario, they step in there and are just excellent options from day one. And if both of them can be starting caliber guards, that gives the Packers a wonderful amount of flexibility on the offensive line. You don't have to rush David Bakhtiari back. You can let Elton Jenkins figure things out at left tackle. Then, when Bakhtiari does come back eventually, and Elton Jenkins presumably shifts inside, you've got an unusual amount of depth at guard. Both Patrick and Runyon would be starting caliber backups if they're not in the lineup. And if they are, it'll just be one of them at at a time, giving you fairly unprecedented depth there when you start considering what guys like Royce Newman and other young Packers interior linemen may contribute this year. The flip side of that is if both of them turn out to be Well, less than optimal starting guards. Sure, the Packers are going to end up having Elton Jenkins at one of the two guard spots eventually. But that still leaves you with big question marks at the other guard spot. And there were times last year that Lucas Patrick looked pretty iffy. He did battle some injuries down the stretch. But against bigger, stronger interior linemen, his game against the Philadelphia Eagles comes to mind. He struggled at times. And let's not forget that John Runyon is only in year two of switching from tackle to guard. The Packers have had a lot of success having guys do that before, but that doesn't mean that Runyon is going to continue that tradition necessarily. If neither of these guys work out, the Packers are left with some serious interior offensive line questions, given that they are going to be starting a rookie at center. More on centers in a second. Uh, after our discussion in the last episode. Switching over to the defensive side, I think there are two boomer bust guys that are worth talking about here. We know Dean Lowry is a bit of a question mark on the defensive line. We know that Tyler Lancaster is pretty limited. We know that TJ Slayton is big and fairly athletic, but pretty green too. So where does that leave us outside of Kenny Clark? Well, let's talk about Kingsley Kiki. He is really the only guy I think other than Kenny Clark, who has shown any real pass-rushing juice among the Packers' defensive linemen. Dean Lowry finally got back in the plus column on sacks last year, after going, I believe, all of 2019 without one. Even if he did have one in 2019, getting to the quarterback regularly is not really his game. Tyler Lancaster, too, not much of a pass-rusher. T.J. Slayton, while he can, you drafted him to be a run stuffer. So that leaves us with Kingsley Kiki, the only other defensive lineman who's probably going to get reps, who has shown any kind of pass rushing ability. In a best-case scenario here, he immediately steps up and is a competent pass rusher next to Kenny Clark, giving the Packers another interior option on passing downs, another down lineman as they rotate their edges in there as well. And he contributes four or five sacks and just consistent pressure up the middle. 
The bus scenario is basically what we saw when he was out with a concussion after having some strong performances early in the season last year. Other than Kenny Clark, the Packers have no pass rushing defensive lineman. None. Zedaria Smith arguably is a defensive lineman more than an outside linebacker, sure. But among guys that regularly play with their hand on the ground, exclusively play with their hand on the ground, Kenny Clark was the only guy getting any sort of consistent pressure last year. And even his pressure wasn't all that consistent due to a, a variety of injuries last year. I don't think the Packers can go through that again. And if they can't, it's another year, or if they do, if they can't get a good performance from Kingsley Kiki, it's another year of weak performances on the defensive line. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Finally, in terms of boomer bust players, this might be the biggest one of this entire group. He might be the defense's version of Marquez Valdez-Scantling, if more talented even, if that's possible physically. Rashawn Gary, if there is anybody who could really use a big breakout year on the Packers' defense. It's Rashawn Gary. Taken 12th overall in 2019, we've gotten glimpses, but we haven't gotten necessarily consistency from Rashawn Gary. But it's easy to see why he matters to the Packers' defense. In the front seven, he is probably the most physically gifted player they have. He's probably the most physically gifted player they've had since prime Clay Matthews in the front seven. And he is considerably bigger than Matthews ever was. It's easy to see why he matters to the Packers' defense. And in the best-case scenario, the boom scenario, he continues to put together more and more growth like we saw last year. More consistent pressures. More finishing of pass rush. More variety in his pass rush. That would be tremendous because he's a better athlete than anybody else they have rushing the passer right now. He is clearly ahead of Preston Smith, I think, at this point. Second only to Zedarius Smith among the Packers' edge rushers. If he can be 85% of the player that Zedarius Smith is in a more athletic package, that's quite a player the Packers have. And that, I think, is the best-case scenario for Rashawn Gary this year. Just more growth heading into year three. But you can also see it being pretty likely, maybe just as likely, that he ends up being more 2018, 2019, excuse me, Rashawn Gary. A little bit tentative. A lot of running around, not a lot of finishing. If he doesn't consistently take steps towards becoming an elite pass rusher, you can see him backsliding. And that leaves the Packers in a precarious situation where Preston Smith is forced to be their number two edge rusher again. I don't have anything against Preston Smith, but I think it's clear at this point through two years that 2019 was the aberration and 2020 is probably more the player that he is. He can still be a useful player if a bit on the expensive side. But I think he's more like a B, B-minus player than the B-plus guy, A-minus guy that he was in 2019. You can win with those guys, but you'd rather have the more athletic, the more explosive Rashawn Gary taking the snaps that 
end up going to Preston Smith when Rashawn Gary is hurt or isn't playing well. The Packers need Rashawn Gary to be ahead of Preston Smith. They need Preston Smith to be just a situational guy. More importantly, they just need, for the sake of the depth chart, Rashawn Gary to be at least as good as he was in 2020. Because beyond Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, what are you talking about? Jonathan Garvin? Randy Ramsey? That gets pretty sparse in a hurry. Rashawn Gary might be the player the Packers need a uh, a big jump from the most on defense. So those are my boom or bust guys. Who do you have? Interested to hear your thoughts, and uh, why don't you consider sharing them in our PowerSweep Discord server? The Discord server is something we offer to Patreon supporters. Contribute any amount at patreon.com slash thepowersweep and you will get access to the Discord as well as to premium content available only to Patreon subscribers. Uh, That includes print articles, that includes picks against the spread and uh, all sorts of other things in season as well as uh, articles and other sorts of uh, content that you only can get that way. So consider supporting us there. Join us in the Discord server and continue this conversation around the Packers, around uh, our upcoming Blue 58 book club reading, and whatever else is on your mind. Consider joining the ranks of Cindy Hammond, David Gatsky, and Kendra Frederick, who have been supporters since 2019, 2019, and 2020, respectively. Kendra was our first supporter in the 2020s. Good for you, Kendra. Thank you for supporting the Power Sweep. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, and thank you to our future Patreon supporters as well. We appreciate all of you as well. Patreon.com slash the Power Sweep. Check it out. One more thing on centers. Uh, we talked about this briefly on the last episode. Listener Noah wrote in asking basically about keeping Corey Lindsley versus keeping Aaron Jones. I talked about some of the soft benefits of keeping both. Here's another nugget that I thought we would add just real quick here. Uh, Former Buffalo Bills GM Doug Whaley spoke this week to a group of scouts and executives, and he brought up kind of out of nowhere some comments on centers. And I'm quoting his remarks from succeedinfootball.com. They paraphrase some of his lead up here, and then I'll tell you when the direct quote here. But here's how the article goes. In the minds of some scouts and executives, center has eclipsed left tackle as the most important position on the offensive line. It's due to today's complex defenses and the center's need to make the right line calls. Now, quoting directly from Whaley, quote, It was always offensive tackle, but the last two coaching searches, a lot of them switched to center. And it was because of the mental part of the game and identifying the middle linebacker and being able to make the, li- the line calls. And that's so important now because of the intricacies of the defense. Today's coaches are saying we need that center. It's more important than the right or left tackle, which was interesting. I struggle with that, but I also understand where they're coming from, especially if you have a young quarterback. If you have that center take a lot of the mental part of the game off your young quarterback, you can help him be able to function at a higher level with a lot less mental taxation on him. End quote. Thought this was very interesting, though not 100% applicable to the Packers. Corey Lindsley moving on, I think, is defensible from both sides. Rational on both sides, if you will. 29-year-old semi-injured center getting buckets of money from the Chargers. He should take that. The Packers shouldn't match it. The Packers have capable centers in-house. They drafted another guy who looks fairly capable in and of himself in Josh Myers. Looks like everybody wins here. But I think Whaley's point illustrates what the Packers are losing. And I think that's some of what Noah referred to in his question, 
soft benefits, uh, the benefits of having an intact offensive line, those are not inconsiderable. And it kind of illustrates what the Packers are losing in experience, in institutional memory. And I think we should keep that in mind as we watch Josh Myers develop as a player. Just an interesting nugget. Thought I'd throw that in there. And uh, please, uh, whether it's this or, or some other topic, if you want to expand on something that we talk about, by all means, uh, our conversations, our episodes don't have to be the last word on anything. So by by all means, send stuff along if you see that. And this is a good example of something that popped up after we had a discussion. This is an ongoing learning process for everybody, me included. That is all I've got for you on this episode. Appreciate you listening in. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate you sharing it with someone else you think would enjoy it as well. That's going to help more people find the show, and it's going to get more people involved in this conversation we're having around the Packers. And ultimately, it's going to help everybody, myself included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.